0: good morning, Providence. It is uh, truly a joy together with you guys today and uh, to open God's word. If uh, you're visiting with us today, we wanna say a special word of welcome to you. It's really our honor that you would join us. I'm Brian, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And uh, I get the joy of uh, opening the book of Ephesians back up uh, now, if, you, uh, if you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that um, we uh, spent two weeks around Easter, uh, both Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, looking at uh, the peace that only Jesus brings. In fact, we looked at uh, the week before Jesus's life and then after his resurrection at two places where Jesus literally spoke peace uh, into uh, the world in two different examples. And uh, honestly, I, I kind of laughed when I realized I was gonna be uh, in this passage Today, maybe there's no better time to look at a passage on parenting than coming off of spending two weeks talking about peace. Uh, because if you're a parent, you uh, probably will say that oftentimes uh, your, uh, your home and your child parent relationship is anything but peaceful. And uh, so, if uh, and and all of us fit in that category somewhere, right? So you may be sitting in this room today, and uh, you're not a parent. You don't have kids. You may not even be married yet. You were a child. Maybe you still are. And uh, so you you fit in the context of this everywhere. And uh, and so uh, I think it's uh, I think it's fitting that we come off of speaking of peace and talking about the dynamics uh, of the parent child relationship. Uh, if you if you look at all of the things that are written about parenting. Um, there's not a ton of consistency about what is most, um, what is most challenging about parenting. Uh, however, wh- what one thing that, that the experts, regardless of where they 're coming from, one thing that they do agree on is that most of the time when, when you talk about challenges in parenting, inevitably the challenges either specifically are speaking to behavior or they're challenges that are born out of behavior. And so, what we can, what we know to be true, is that the challenges that exist in parenting really come in the context of behavior. And uh, while, while there are tons of external factors that affect. Parent-child relationship, uh, and some of them. I mean, if we if we just skip a rock across culturally, uh, what is before us? Uh, there, if we we could talk about uh, alcoholism, we could talk about uh, we could talk about relationships among among kids and teens. We we could talk about social media. Right? For me, in my own home, most of our challenges center around technology, frankly. And so, if that's true. If, if external factors are true and, and that's the case, can something that was written over 2,000 years ago before some of that even existed, especially when we talk about technology, can something that was written over 2,000 years ago actually be applicable for us today? Well, I say yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Even though it's Paul's words to a a church in modern day, what we know is modern day Turkey, uh, I believe that the words that Paul gives absolutely are applicable to us today. But before we read this text, I want to answer another question that some of you may be sitting here thinking because you may not have realized this is where we're going to be in Ephesians today and you're thinking, I got out of bed and I'm not a parent, uh, I'm not married, or I'm a parent that has grown children, I'm past this and i want I want to speak to you for a second i I absolutely believe uh, that the that the word that Paul gives us is for all of us okay so please don 't check out in the next thirty minutes or so uh, as we talk about. Parenting, uh, And I hope you'll see why here in a minute, but, but I believe that what Paul says about parents and children is still a word for us. There are some direct things that this passage speaks to when it comes specifically to the unique dynamic of a parent and a child. And yet, uh, there's a ton at play here fundamentally that I think uh, addresses all of our hearts. And so uh, I wanna read from Ephesians 6. If you don't have a Bible, if you look under the chair in front of you, uh, there's likely one either directly in front of you to your right or left. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, then we would, in all seriousness, we would love for that to be our gift to you. Uh, there's When we gather every week, <clears throat> There's one thing that we hope you leave here knowing, and that is that we absolutely believe that Jesus Christ is our only hope for salvation and that his word, God's word given to us is of great importance. And there's nothing better that we could give you than a hope in Jesus and his word uh, if, if, if you are with us today. So if you don't have a Bible, we, we want you to uh, to take that as your own. Uh, we're in the book of Ephesians, which is just a letter. It's actually a, a letter that was written to a church. It's in the New Testament. Uh, it's toward the, the end of the Bible. And uh, so it's only a couple of pages long. And so you can look in the front of your Bible to get there. I don't know the page number uh, because my Bible page number is different than the one in the pew. But uh, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter six, and we're going to read the first four verses. So let's do that now. Uh, this is what Paul writes. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So let's pray before we dig into this passage. Father, uh, we come before you today recognizing that, um, to be quite honest, our hearts are often far from you. And uh, Lord, my prayer is that we would look at this passage that may not be speaking directly to what, we, where, what stage of life we're in. And instead of just checking out and, and, and turning away from it, that we might hear the heart of what's going on. And that we might see ourselves in this passage as it relates to you and that we might turn our hearts toward you, recognize your deep love for us as our heavenly Father, and respond in amazement to what you've done for us, and sending your Son on our behalf. God, may we see the gospel at work here in this passage about earthly relational dynamics that exist in a home. Uh, and may we marvel at how you've made us, And may we marvel at the salvation that you offer us through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray these things. Amen. So Ephesians 6, um, I want to remind you as we look at the scripture, most of you know this, but uh, sometimes I forget as I read the Bible, uh, the verses and the chapters were not there when Paul wrote this book. It was a letter. The, the verses and the chapters were given for our sake later on so that we could actually reference things in the Bible and find our way. And so instead of reading Ephesians 6, 1-4 through as a standalone passage, we absolutely have to approach this passage in light of everything else that Paul has said to this point in the letter to the church at Ephesus. If we don't, we're going to find ourselves in trouble when, when Paul addresses parents and children, he does so with something much more fundamental in mind. And so to understand his word, uh, I think we need to realize three things in particular, uh, foundationally, about obedience and authority that I think are at play in this passage. And so I'm going to give you guys three, uh, three points, if you will, that center around obedience and authority. And then I want to spend our time, the remainder of our time, looking at application from these foundational truths about obedience and authority that play out in this particular passage in the context of the home. So that's where we're going and what, what we're going to look like. And so just out of the chute, uh, I, I want you to know, I think that the gospel teaches us, what I think is at play in this in in the book of Ephesians, the gospel teaches us that obedience and authority start with the heart. All right. And this and and this comes not just from Ephesians 6, 1 through 4, but I actually think we've got a backup. To Ephesians five twenty one, and we'll get there in a second. But um, if you've if you've been with us as we walk through Ephesians and you heard Brian preach the preceding passage, he actually backed up to 521 to set the stage for talking about husbands and wives as well. And and frankly, I think that's the starting point for us as we look at parents and children. Uh, hear me say this, if we don't get this right, if we don't get that obedience and authority is an issue of the heart, it starts in our heart, If we don't get this, then everything that follows, whatever side of obedience and authority we fall on, whether we're the ones in authority or we're the ones that need to obey, it will remain broken and it will remain misused and abused, okay? So if we don't fundamentally come to a place where we understand that obedience and authority are matters of the heart, then we're going to have problems Following, right? So, legal experts and scholars suggest that there's two reasons why people obey. And uh, those two primary reasons people obey laws in particular are this. First of all, that they would avoid the consequences or the sanctions of disobedience, all right? So, we obey because we don't like what might happen if we. If we disobey, and then the second one uh, is that the law possesses some legitimate authority in their eyes, in other words, that they see the law is valuable and authoritative over them so they so people either obey because they want to uh, avoid the punishment that comes with disobedience or because they see authority as the the authority or the law is valuable. And and that's from a secular perspective, just as we think about law in our culture. I think there's actually three things at play that probably work their way into these two uh, when we start talking about the heart and obedience. And I think there are three primary reasons. What we see over and over again in the scripture and what God teaches us is there's three primary reasons why we obey. The first is love. Okay. Love, we obey. Now, Now, follow me for just a second. We obey what or who we love. Now, notice I didn't say just who, and here's the reason why. I'm going to pick on golfers for a minute. If you love golf, then, uh, then you obey the love of golf. So you rearrange your life to make it a priority. Like you just do it, whatever it is, it doesn't matter what it is. So I know that we obey whatever it is that we value and we love. And, and Jesus really gets to the heart of this in Matthew 6 when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I think our love dictates our obedience. And uh, so when, when, we, when we love something, we naturally will obey it. Or follow it. Or when we love someone, I think a natural outworking of that love is that we tend to listen and to obey. Um, when when it, it's it's a funny dynamic too, though, because um, sometimes. In, in our, if, if we think about a kid, all right, so my children were here in the last hour and uh, I picked on them a little bit, but there are times when they will obey because they don't like, like it's what the legal experts say, they don't, they want to avoid the consequence to it, right? Now, think about this. What's really at play? If you want to avoid the consequence of whatever disobedience would bring you, what is it actually saying? It's it's actually saying that you love something else more, maybe yourself, like often it is, right? If my children don't want discipline, what they're really saying is I love myself more than I want to receive this punishment. And so to avoid the punishment and to protect myself, I'm gonna operate out of obedience. It's still an issue of love. In every case, it comes back to what we love. And what the gospel teaches us is that that, that, that's really at the heart of obedience. So so love is certainly there. The second thing, which I don't think we can divorce from love is trust. Uh, We will obey if we believe that the one in authority over us has our best interest at heart. Right? If, if we really believe that, that the person who's, who's giving us a directive has our best interest at heart or knows what's best, then we will, we will trust them and obedience will follow. Or at a minimum, we will obey if we believe that the one in authority is not purposefully bent on our destruction right? Like they're not just out to get us, okay? So maybe it's not that they have our best interest at heart, but we know that they have good intentions and that they're not for our destruction. But the reality is that trust is tied to love. Most of the time, we don't trust someone that we don't in some way have affection or affinity toward. And so we can't separate the two. The final thing that I think we see, which I think think secularly it's at play too, is that fear, is a reason that we obey. Fear is strictly born out of the physical or positional power uh, that, that, that somebody in authority has. Now, the unique thing about fear, if you obey strictly out of fear, guess what? It's the obedience is only as good as the power of the one who holds authority. So at any moment that that power is questioned, you won't obey anymore, right? And you see this all the time in culture, where there's change of power we obey until someone more powerful comes along that we would agree with or or that is just more powerful but in that context obedience only lasts as long as the power is held but in each instance in every case love trust or fear in every case, we might physically obey, like the action of obedience, but it doesn't automatically convey that our heart is bent toward that. And if you're a parent or if you're a kid, you know this is true. How many times have I told my son, whatever he did toward one of his sisters or vice versa, because it works both ways, uh, Asher, you need to apologize for what you did to your sister. I'm sorry right? Now, did he do what I told him to do? Yeah, he did. Did he mean it? No, absolutely not. His heart wasn't there, right? So we can physically obey without the idea of conveying honor, which I think Paul turns a corner in this passage when he talks about honor. Honor is genuine respect for someone, and obedience is a form of honor, but in both cases, they, they may not be coming from the right heart. And that's just the reality. So in chapter 6, Paul is appealing to children who are part of the church at Ephesus to obey their parents. And he says, because it's right and to honor their parents because this is what has been written by God in Exodus 20. When God handed down the Old Testament law in the form of the 10 commandments, one of those commandments was to honor your father and your mother. But all of this, I think Paul, with all of that background, Paul really says though, this command to obey and honor flows out of Ephesians 5.21. And in Ephesians 5.21, Paul says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then, in all of Ephesians, right, he's leading up to this point. And then once he says that, then he shows us what this looks like, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, recognition of his love for us and love in return for him. He tells us this, what this looks like in the form of our marriage relationship, And this is what this looks like when we apply it to a parent-child relationship. And then next week, we're actually going to look at another relationship where this plays out. But the idea of reverence for Christ is primarily why obedience and likewise authority start in the heart. Paul spends the whole of his letter laying the foundation for the love of God that is expressed to us through the gospel of Jesus. And in doing so, he reminds us in the very first chapter, God is the Father. God is our father and we are his children. We've been made his children by no work of our own, but by himself. That's what he says, we are adopted sons and daughters because of what God has done in Jesus Christ on our behalf. And he makes us a part of his household. We did not become children of God. We didn't, any of us sitting in this room who proclaim Christ as our Lord and savior, we did not become children of God because we obeyed. You guys understand that? We did not become children of God because we obeyed. We became children of God because Christ obeyed for us. And he graciously applied his work to us. And now he calls us to live our lives out of that identity as children of God that we have been given by imploring us to imitate him in obedience and reminding us in various ways how Jesus demonstrates the character and the action that we should emulate. So God's love ought to compel us to love him, right? This is what John says in his letter, uh, in 1 John in chapter four, in this is love. Not, Not that we loved God, but that God loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. So God's love ought to compel us both to love him And to obey him, we obey not so that God will love us. We obey because he loves us. this is what Jesus says when he says in John 14 to his disciples, if you love me, what? You will obey my commandments right? If you love me, if, if you recognize the love that I have for you and you love me in return, guess what? You'll obey. It's not the other way around and it matters. Obedience is the result of love, not the means to it. So I don't want to move past this point without mentioning authority. Authority is tied to obedience, right? So authority has has at its root issue a matter of the heart. If we obey and honor what we love, then when we're in a position of authority, we will make decisions based on what we love as well. If we believe our authority rests strictly in our own power, we will work out of that. And the gospel teaches us something different. So we can't separate the two. This is foundational, and I believe this then leads to understanding what Paul says as he applies it directly to parents and children. Here's the reality. Life without authority is chaos. No one really wants no authority. We may say that we don't want authority. My children don't want my rules, all right? But guess what? They don't want a house with no rules. They want to be the rulemaker right isn't isn't that the reality for all of us none of us really want no authority we want to be the authority and that's the challenge in our own hearts and so when we talk about obedience and authority we need to understand there is authority and no one can live in a world without it but it needs to be It needs to come from the right place and be used in the right way, and we need to respond accordingly. So fundamentally, authority and obedience are hard issues. So how does this gospel then speak to the parent-child relationship in the context of this passage? What do I think it teaches about obedience and authority? Two things, right? So this is point number two and point number three. But point number two, that the gospel teaches us in this context of this passage that obedience is a blessing. Right now, I want you all to understand. I did not see that obedience leads. I didn't say obedience leads to blessing. I believe it does, but that's not what I said. And here's how I want to see if I can get to this with you guys. There's a picture uh, that, that's up on the screen, and it's a picture of a gate that is locked. All right, and so track with me for a second. See if this makes sense. Oftentimes, we parent this way. We say on the other side of the locked fence is our love, our acceptance, and our approval. And there's a, there's, a, there's a chain around getting to that, and there's a lock, and there's only one way to get to what's on the other side of the fence, and that's if you have the key. And the key to my love, my acceptance, and my approval is obedience. Obedience is the key. Guess what, guys? The gospel doesn't teach this. This. Do you understand when, when we look at the gospel, what the gospel says, if if God's love is on the other side of the fence, his love and his approval and his acceptance, that the key to unlock the door, the, the lock, guess what? It's Jesus, not obedience. And And if that's true, then if Jesus is our way, into love and acceptance and and uh and and from the father then then obedience actually has to be part of the blessing that's on the other side of the fence do you get that like to obey is a blessing it's not a means to the blessing but obedience is in and of itself part of The blessing that God gives us. This is what, and it comes all through Jesus. This is what Paul's saying over and over again. He starts his letter this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us as what? To be adopted as sons through, sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, that we were, we were invited into the family through the key of Jesus. To the, to the praise of His glorious grace with which He's blessed us in the Beloved. He goes on to say in chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses. And what Paul is really saying here is remarkable. Not only were we uh, in opposition to God, <laughs> we were enemies of God and slaves to sin. We obeyed, but guess what we obeyed? Sin. We obeyed sin, not God. We couldn't obey God. So how in the world then did we move to a state of being where we could obey God? Jesus made that way possible. So blessing, So part of the blessing is that obedience is, is the result of the work that Christ has done. It's not a punishment. If you're a kid in this room, you need to know obeying is not punishment. It's a blessing that obedience is for our good. If you're an adult in this room, you need to know the gospel says that obedience is not punishment. It's a blessing. You did not earn your salvation through obedience. You earned it through grace. And obedience came as a result of it. So obeying becomes a part of our worship to God. This is at the heart of what Samuel says to Saul in 1 Samuel. I won't I'll spare you the expense of the story of why we came to this point in the scriptures, but Saul has made a sacrifice that he wasn't supposed to make because he kept something that he wasn't supposed to keep after battle. And Samuel comes in and says to him, As the Lord is great a delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen better than the fat of rams. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, you've disobeyed, the Lord has rejected you as king. You know the story. Ultimately, David was raised up in his place. There's a reason why, all through the Old Testament, there's a reason why the whole of the Bible teaches that blessing comes from obedience because obedience is God's way and God's way is right. Right? Like if you obey, there's a reason why it seems that good comes out of obedience because that's how God put the world into motion. The reason that disobedience leads to heartache is the same. Disobedience is against how God says the world's supposed to work. There are consequences to living in a life that is contrary to what's best. So while Paul is applying this this idea of obedience to an earthly parent-child relationship, I think he's written his entire letter with one other parent-child relationship in mind, and that is the heavenly father relationship that we have with him as his children. So this truth applies to all of us, whether we're parents or not. But maybe even more importantly, this is exactly how Jesus lived. This was his example. He says in John, I, several times, I only say what the father tells me to say. I only do what I see the father doing. Jesus, God the son, was obedient to God the father. In fact, he was obedient to the point of death, that we might have salvation. So when Paul says, obey, this is right, what does he mean? This isn't just his opinion. Parents would like, yeah, kids, obey, because this is right, right? This isn't just Paul's opinion on the matter. He he, he, he lays this, he validates his statement when he presses into the issue of why honor is right? because it is what was given to us in the law. God's word says do this, and God's word is right and best. This is how life works best. When honor and obedience are present, when they're they're absent, when they're not in existence, this is where hardship flows. Obedience uh, and honor both can be cheapened when they're simply external actions, right? The whole idea of saying I'm sorry through gritted teeth. They're cheapened, uh, but they reveal our heart. And this was God's indictment against the Israelites when he voiced it through Isaiah. And he said, the pe- these people, they draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me. And their fear of me is simply a command that's taught by men. Right? It's not in their heart. And, uh, and so the gospel teaches us that obedience is a blessing. And then the gospel teaches us that God's authority then should determine and direct ours. In the garden, uh, man was given stewardship over God's creation. It was not his authority. It was God's authority that was granted to him. When, when God said, have dominion, he said, rule in my place right be my representative in the world that I made to you likewise then parents have been given ambassadorial authority by God through Jesus over your kids it's not your authority the ultimate authority rests in God and every parent every parent will give an account before God of their stewardship of the authority that they had Every parent will be given, will will, will give an account before God. Parents, remember your children are a gift from God. They're his possession and you have been given responsibility and stewardship on his behalf. Jesus clearly demonstrates his love for children and he reflects the heart of the heavenly father. And we should likewise reflect the heart of the Father. When it comes to our kids, God's plan, His Word, His will, and His glory need to instruct and guide us. This is why we operate, If rightly, when we rightly operate from authority, we do it because it's His authority and it points toward Him. God is in the business of heart change. As parents, we have to be aware of the reality that we're often confronted with the personal inconvenience of parenting, right? These moments where we, and, and, and when it's inconvenient, because it often feels inconvenient, we need to be willing to realize that in those moments, what, 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 what's really at play here is we really have an opportunity to, to decide if we will pursue God's agenda or our own. In the moments it seem like inconvenience, what's really at play is this, is this tension of whether we're going to see this as an opportunity to pursue God's agenda or our own. He is not inconvenienced with our kids. He's just not. His heart, our heart and their hearts are always at the center of his heart. He's pursuing. And so if he's not inconvenienced with our kids, we shouldn't be as well. You see, children... When we begin to see our children in terms of their relationship with God, then we lead out of that. So we, so I ask you, you know, how do you see your kids? If you're a parent, how do you see your kids? Do you see them in relationship to their, their relationship with God or their relationship to you? It matters in how you parent. Our children aren't given to us to bring us glory. They're given to us to bring God glory. And it's our joy to help them to see that and fulfill it, and so the last few minutes that I have with you, I want to look at what Paul says all of this right about obedience and authority now applied to parents and children so what 's the takeaway in all this? If this is true, if obedience and authority are heart issues that that we that we all live in that dynamic that that we will obey what we love, then what does Paul say in response to what Jesus has done for us in the gospel well Right out of the chute in verse 1, children, guess what? Obey your parents, <laughs> right? Obey your parents. It's, it's not rocket science. This is the takeaway from this, whole, from this idea in the context of parents and children. Primarily because, why do you obey? Primarily because obedience reflects the character of Jesus. And this certainly pleases God. It pleases God when we live like Jesus, but also it's right, right? That's what Paul says, it's right. In other words, God has said that obeying and honoring parents is the right thing to do. Because it's the right thing to do, it generally speaking, it's also really good for us. When you obey, blessing happens, right? Life is easier when we obey, generally speaking. But this assumes something specific. This assumes that the authority of the parent is firmly rooted also in the reflection of Jesus. And let's be honest, we live in a fallen world. So I want to be fair, and I want to say that uh, just like submission in marriage that Brian talked about several weeks ago, just like there are conditions for submission, I believe there are conditions for obedience as well. We don't have a ton of time to unpack this, but but let me just say uh, that that God does not expect you to obey when you're being asked to do something that is obviously illegal or in opposition to God's word. Okay, and so so I just I want to put it out there. But generally speaking, obedience to parents is good and right and And so that leads to number two, right if we're going to talk to parent to children i've got to talk to parents so application number two parents raise your kids to know and love jesus there There are tons of great things that you can pass on to your children all right strong work ethic, uh, a lifestyle of honesty and integrity, uh, a servant heart or or compassion uh, how to back a trailer uh, how to how to hook or fade a golf shot, right? I mean, these are really important things, how to boil an egg or tie a tie or how to braid hair. Of all of the things that you can leave with your children, please hear me out. Of all of the things that you can leave with your children, there is nothing more important than you will do than to put Jesus on display before them. Guys, if you don't do anything other than put Jesus on display before them, you will have done well all right, please don't assume someone else will do this for you, right? Don't assume your parents, their grandparents will do this for you. Don't assume a Christian school will do this for you. Don't assume the church will do this for you. Enjoy. Do what God has given you responsibility to do and point your children toward Jesus. Give them the best opportunity possible to know Him as their Savior and to respond to his gift of grace. Um, If obedience flows from, because of that, if obedience flows from love, then then shouldn't we be spending more time on the love of Jesus than we are on these other things? Like, Like, shouldn't we root the efforts behind getting them to see the grace and the love of a god who would do the unthinkable and would and would come and give his own life on their behalf that they might be reconciled to him with knowing then if obedience flows from love that if they catch a picture of that love that then then the natural following will be that they begin to obey not the other way around doesn't mean we don't have rules just means let 's make what 's most important, most important next, as I land i want to I want to talk to you fathers in the room okay now i 'm not doing this because uh, i 'm I'm trying to negate the importance of moms and their role but but Paul shifts his attention in Ephesians six after he says, "Look, kids." obey your parents and honor your father and mother. This is right because it's the first commandment with the promise. Now, Paul's not saying it's the first of the 10 commandments. What Paul is saying is this is the first commandment that came with the promise. So it's the first commandment given that had a promise of blessing that came with it. And so Paul says, honor your father and mother. And then his language changes and he talks directly to dads. Fathers, do not provoke your children in anger. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. All right. Now, I want I want you to understand what I think is at play here. Now, it's primarily this: check your heart before you address theirs. If you are a dad, you have been given unique responsibility by God to lead your children. And and guys, I'm listen. We're Men are men, we're generally extremist, okay? So this is how we lead, either completely absent, like we're passive, or we're authoritative, like ramrodding through, right? We we have a hard time living in the in-between. And so what I want to call you to and what Paul is calling you to is to check your heart before you address theirs. And make sure your heart is in the right place in relation to your heavenly Father before you address their heart. Because then and only then will you do it in a right way. And ultimately, what this means is that you will love them. You will lead your children with grace, humility, and compassion. And that's my charge to you. This is all that Paul has been saying leading up to it. In Ephesians 4, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, letting all bitterness and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice, being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, one another as God in Christ forgave you. All of this went before his directive to parents. Why? Because it's the foundation in which we need to live in all of these other contexts. Have that mind in you. Check your heart before you address theirs. Please don't expect the law. Please don't expect rules to do what only grace can accomplish in the life of your child. Your salvation did not work that way. And neither will your child's. If you've led differently as a father, then hear me out. There is grace at the foot of the cross. Repent to God and ask for forgiveness from your kids and lead differently. God's grace is more than sufficient to accomplish these things. And then finally, I want to speak to the church as a whole. I want you guys to remember that a partnership of discipleship is a gift from God. Remember, this is a letter to the church, and we've all been called to participate in this. While parents have been called to be the primary disciples of their children, none of us were made to live in isolation. In fact, all of Ephesians was written uh, about the depth of relationship that exists among the family of God. So much of what Paul addresses is how we act toward one another. And the privilege that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ is that we share in the responsibility that he's given us. And so we get to hold one another accountable. And guess what? For some of you, you you may not have kids, but some of you men, you will be the spiritual father to a child who does not have a physical one. God in his grace, he will do that in the context of his body. And it is true for women as well. Know that God has called us all to speak the truth of God's grace into the lives of one another, including children and serve with kids. And put Jesus on display before them. Because in the end, this directive toward parents is no different than the great commission, right? Jesus says, where does the authority rest? All authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. And so this is what I call you to do. Go and make disciples and do what? Teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And I will be with you to the end. The same thing that he calls the church to is what he calls us to as parents. It's the same discipleship directive. And so may we, may we live out our relationship with the one who made us in the context of being called his children in a way that our identity overflows and we joyfully follow our heavenly father to that end, and let us then lead in our own homes that way. And let's pray. Father, would you in grace give us the wisdom to see that you're speaking to our hearts. You're certainly speaking directly to parents here, but, but you, you have not, you've not glossed over that we can't get here unless we understand our relationship to you as well. And so Lord, would you help us to see that you are the good Father, That your word and your rule are best, that lives work best when we listen to you and we love you and we follow you. And may we obey you not in order to gain your pleasure, but because you've just lavished it on us through Jesus. May we obey that way and may we may we lead our lives that way. And would you use us living that out before children for them to catch a glimpse of the greatness of who you are, that they might respond to your love in obedience to you. And ultimately, that is where the great gift resides. And Lord, we'll give you the glory for what you accomplish. We pray these things now as we even enter into giving of our tithes and our offering, not because you require it, but because you love us and everything that we have is a gift from you. May we even give with the same relationship at, at the core. Lord, we love you and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.